On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, there are multiple ways to build a community around your brewery. And one way is through membership clubs and offering your beer through community-supported agricultural-type programs. Two brewers embracing that model are here to discuss. This is John Hall, and welcome to episode 49. A quick word on content. This show is for nano brewers, both existing and in planning. So tell us what you want to hear. What are the topics you want to learn more about? And what issues are you interested in? Also, tell us who the brewers are that you want to hear from. You can email us at nano at byo.com. And now, on to the show. January is a tough month for bars and tap rooms. The collective societal hangover, both on the waistline and wallet, looms large. And it can make running a small brewery even more difficult. But there are some ways to cultivate a loyal audience while also creating beers of note. The brewers, owners of Lady Justice Brewing in Colorado and Stoneman Brewing in Massachusetts are here to share their stories about their membership programs and to offer insight on how it might work for your small brewery. But first, a word of thanks to this show's sponsor, and we hope you'll give them a closer look. Fermentus. There are occasions when a single microorganism is not enough. You know it. That's why Fermentus gives you all in one a brand of specifically blended products, which can be made from a mix of microorganisms, catalysts, nutrients, and more. And it's available in 500 gram and 25 gram sizes. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation, visit Fermentus.com. Also, get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's new Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts, watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Go check out BYO.com slash NanoPlus for more details. Okay, let's get into the conversation. My guests today are industry veterans who have been working at creating, fostering, and growing community-supported beer programs. Betsy Lay is the co-founder and owner of the social enterprise Lady Justice Brewing in Aurora, Colorado. She holds a certificate from the Siebel Institute of Technology's Concise Course in Brewing Technology and also earned a Master in Theological Studies from Perkins School of Theology at Southern Methodist University. In her time off from the brewery, she can be found with a good whiskey, a good book, and a good dog. Justin Corby is the owner and brewer of Stoneman Brewery in Coltrane, Massachusetts. Stoneman Brewery opened up in 2012 and started the first beer CSA in the country, brewing on a small farm using nearly 100% Northeast-grown ingredients in every batch of beer. He was a stonemason for 10 years before deciding to change careers and take the hobby of home brewing to the next level and start a nano brewery. As a one-man business, Justin also helps raise pigs, chickens, and helps weed the homestead garden. They both join me via Zoom. Well, thank you to you both for for being here. And as we are now at the beginning of a new year and a few days into to January when we're recording this, I, I, I think it's still one of those times of reflection that people have when we start a whole new calendar and resolutions probably haven't been broken yet, um, hopefully haven't been broken yet. And, and I'm curious just for, from each of you, from your small brewery owner perspective, do you have a resolution that you'd like to, to, to meet for your business for 2024, Betsy? Oh, yeah, I have those all the time. But, you know, I think for 2024, what we're focused on pretty deeply right now is how to um, keep craft beer and craft breweries, tap rooms, you know, the places where we gather over beer. How do we keep that relevant and get it back to growth? Um, how do we get people to understand that gathering over beer is elementally human it's in our bones and how do we how do we i guess just connect our communities that gather in spaces together back to 
craft beer. I like and that. also and like, you know, <laughs> if you being in the that black out, you and like turning know? a profit yeah. is good too. But um, yeah, I will. I'm yeah, it's like literally all I've been thinking about the last two weeks, which is just infuriating inside of my brain. But yeah, uh-huh. when I get there, I'll let you know, John. <laughs> uh Justin, do you have any 2024 resolutions? Yeah, I don't know if I have resolutions. It's more just continuing the same path. I mean, um essentially uh, you know, working on more of a slower growth, trying to take less risks. And, and I've been kind of on track, you know, cause I, I reopened just after the pandemic for a couple of years and, you know, I'm slowly building things back. So I'm just kind of just staying on track, slow growth, um, trying not to take, you know, too many risky moves to like, you know, do something, um, you know, like a huge project or anything like that. I think a little more like slow expansion, I guess would be the answer. Yeah. Is there a, is, is there a bit of a satisfaction in trying to manage slow growth versus – I know for such a long time in the industry, it was grow as fast as you can, as big as you can. And, the, and, and I know that's not always for everybody, um, but there's a lot of that conversation that was always seeming to happen that I think would filter into breweries of all sizes, even if that was never part of the original plan. And the pandemic – kind of hit pause on that and and literally for you um justin but um is there i don't know is there is there a satisfaction that comes with or a, a, a centeredness maybe that comes with it's I, i've learned how to um you know do more with less and to basically like lessen your expectations on a project you know like even for you know growing getting a little bit bigger a little bit profitable you know, it's just being able to hit these goals, but you just don't set as big of a goal. You know, you set something that's really more attainable and realistic, and then you get the satisfaction because you you're on track on your business plan. You know, so that's where I don't know if I answer that, but but the the slower growth is definitely um, there's a lot in the industry. A lot of people have gotten hit pretty hard, and and trying to overexpand right now is not is not the best in this industry. I think. Betsy, how have you been able to navigate the Denver space? Because when I think of Denver, I mean, it's it's one of the great craft beer cities of America. Um, there's there's endless choice um, for a smaller brewery because uh, there are a couple of national players that are in and around or places that have larger footprints or, or, or whatever. Um, how have you approached being a nano in a – I hesitate to use the word saturated city, but I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair too. Um, you know, we, I think being nano when we opened in 2016, being nano was part of the draw for people and being membership only um, simply because of our capacity. Um, We were renting out a 300 square foot room, so we couldn't have a tap room. Um, And so we sort of by default became this very exclusive beer club that nobody else could get into. And because we are nano, we could only have anywhere from 75 to 125 beer members. And so I think that that gave us, you know, when you build your business plan and everybody wants to know who's your competition and what's, what's your competitive edge. I think for us, I mean, we had a few factors, but our competitive edge, so to speak, or at least our niche was uh, part of it was our nano aspect. And I, that allowed us to have our beer members get to know us very well. And they like intimately knew our beer and giving us feedback and, and becoming part of, you know, the Lady J community. Uh, And so as we've grown from that, you know, a lot of our regular customer base are still those original members from 2016, 2017. And so I think, um, you know, in terms of how we are doing in Denver and what that looks like, I think we were able from the outset to sort of set ourselves apart as not being your traditional 
brewery, traditional tap room. And then, you know, our mission and giving model on top of that has certainly also helped um, provide some sort of differentiation in the market. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of very good beer in Denver. And there's a lot of great breweries within just a few miles of us. And it's pretty easy to say like, hey, you know, if you want the actual best IPA in the entire world, it's uh, three miles north of here. Um, so I think embracing it uh, has been good too, embracing the saturation, but also embracing how much good beer there is in Denver. Um, being able to point people in directions of what they're looking for is also um, good and collaborative. And we try to if, we, if there's something that people are really wanting to try and curious about style-wise and we don't make it, uh, we'll send them, uh, you know, we'll give them recommendations. And in the same vein, I mean, people come and see us for, you know, we have a few styles that were notable <clears throat> for us um, that people stop in and see us for. So it's sort of a two-way street, I guess, with that. Yeah. You, you mentioned um, your model and mission, and I'm wondering if you could just sort of briefly share some insight on that. And then Justin, I want to talk about your model uh, after that. Yeah, Lady Justice is a social enterprise brewery. So we are, um, our business model, the reason that we exist as a business is to uh, donate profits over cost to Colorado nonprofits that support and empower women, girls and non-binary folks. And so we have through our through our CSB membership and through um, one of our tap lines, we raise money uh, for different nonprofits throughout the year. So we just gave, um, we just surpassed our $50,000 mark in total giving since our um, founding, which was pretty cool. We did that in December. And uh, we give to about 12 to 15 nonprofits every year. Um, and that's why uh, that's why Lady Justice exists. So if if I wanted to stop uh, stop having a, a giving model, um, I I would in good conscience have to close Lady Justice and open up something completely different because the sole purpose of Lady Justice is to raise money for its community. I like that, Justin. What drew you to creating Stone Man and and what you wanted it to be in yeah. the beginning. I mean, part of the backstory is there's a, a company called Valley Malt, which sure. is a micro malt company. They started, I think, right around 2011. And they were basically like 30 miles from where I am. And I was a stonemason at the time. And then I um, you know, was homebrewing a lot. And essentially, they were the only micro maltster east of the Mississippi in that time. So the whole idea even from day one of the whole beginning was I've been brewing about a hundred percent Northeast grown ingredients from day one. That was the whole reason I decided to open up a brewery was because I could brew, I could grow all the ingredients, have friends grow ingredients and basically support the farmers by making awesome products. And essentially the whole draw of being able to brew something that no one else has that no one else can do. Like as far as, you know, there's limited amounts of local ingredients and, you know, since then, Valley Malt has expanded. There's been all kinds of new malt houses opening up everywhere. So my whole passion is, um, you know, growing beer and promoting this movement where you're brewing beer with as close to from the farmers. And, um, and essentially the CSA model allowed me to come up with a whole plan and do it with no money. So I basically had no capital. I had this idea and a dream. And I basically started, I had been homebrewing a lot. And I had a lot of people that, that liked my beer, you know, drinking it for free. And so I basically went all in, created a model, um, which is a beer. I think it was the first beer CSA in the country where CSA stands for Community Supporting Agriculture. Yeah. I've heard of other people doing, you know, CSBs and things like that. But the CSA model is I, I'm a pretty firm on the on the term of community supporting agriculture, because really if you're getting all of your ingredients from the farmers directly, um, you know, you're having a, a pretty good, pretty uh, beneficial impact. Um, so essentially the idea of the beer CSA and being able to brew beer that was 100% local, that's what I, that was the, the draw to create a, a brewery and to do it with no money. 
this is going to sound like an indelicate question, and I don't mean it that way, but when homebrewers go pro and you have your buddies who are drinking your beer for free and they're 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 saying, oh, isn't this great? Isn't this great? Um, were they still with you after you went pro? Yeah. I mean, from day from day one, um, you know, I, I used to run underground. I used to do festivals and you couldn't sell the beer, but you could give it out for free. And so, like, I kind of launched the brewery at a festival we, we built called yurt fest and so i uh, had a, a beer uh, writer come up and did an interview and an article about it and that was kind of the launch of the whole company um but yeah i've had people with me since the beginning i know that there are folks who still make that jump from home brewing to um to to, to going pro and there is that little bit of like a a, a jarring where it's like you know now all of a sudden you're getting different kind of feedback um you know it's not just your buddies who you know like your free beer or 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 whatever but now you're dealing with a um i'm going to use this word loosely but discerning public um were there lessons learned early on like after you were doing those festivals after you were doing um some of that underground stuff and then you went out into the quote-unquote real world um, were there lessons that you learned at the time that you still carry with you? Yeah, I mean, I would, would say that trying to learn as much as you can and surround yourself with a community of other brewers that are supportive and want to teach you things. Like, I mean, that's where I've learned a lot just from other people, you know, other professionals um, that have given you lots of good advice along the way. So it's like like having like a board of advisors or a group of elders that that are in the industry and and um that's kind of helped me i mean I've, I've had a lot of that support from the beginning um and then just making friends with other brewers inviting them over learning about it um you know i've gone up to even bigger sized breweries and brew houses and like some of the people running these 20 barrel brew houses you know you think that they're they know it all and sometimes they're just pushing buttons so it's it's interesting to see uh, you know the, um about the whole brewing industry so uh, you, br- yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, no, I, I say, I'm, I don't know if I answered the question. Uh, um, I, Betsy, I want to ask you a, a similar question of lessons learned in those early days. Um, I, Justin brought up the word, uh, the, the, uh, the three letters of CSB, which is how, how I see that you all, um, talk about your membership program, but, um, were there were there lessons learned in those early days that surprised you, but that you still carry with you? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, some of I'm waiting to ask that question one day, by yeah. the way, and just have somebody say, "Nope, no, no, it's, nope. it was perfect from day one." Yeah, everything was really good. <laughs> uh, no, we had all sorts of mishaps and and false starts and uh, things that went terribly wrong and things that went really right too and. We were doing, you know, uh, talking about like the CSA model when we were um, developing our business plan for Lady Justice, knowing that we weren't going to open a brick and mortar, you know, tap room. One of the things that one of the things that we um, drew inspiration from was that my co-founders and I, uh, Kate and Jen, uh, we all served in AmeriCorps together is how we met. And so we were living at the poverty level of um, Denver, Colorado, which was $10,000 a year. And so part of how we um, were able to get like fresh um, local produce was we would split a CSA share. And that's how we would get our um, get our fresh produce as a, just as a means to try to keep supporting um, farmers without um without having to um break the bank and all of that so when we were developing our business model uh beer memberships in colorado did not exist there was not that was not a thing i mean we're talking 2014 2015 and we really couldn't find anybody who's doing the membership model that we were talking about and so we named ours the CSB Community Supported Brewery uh, as a complete ripoff from the CSA model. 
very specifically because we had been a part of a CSA and really enjoyed that. And so that was sort of um, sort of our launching point for our entire business plan our first two years. Uh, so it's fun to hear from Justin that he was doing this um, way back then and maybe even beforehand um, over there on the East Coast. And we just, you know, had no idea. Um, right. There are no new ideas. There's just um, <laughs> whatever. But so but, you know, what we learned in all of that time is, I mean, we were homebrewers sort of before um, all of this came about. But really, uh, I turned into a very serious home brewer. Uh, because of the Lady Justice business plan that we are working on. So I became a, I became, you know, from somebody who dabbled in homebrewing to somebody who is homebrewing as often as possible every weekend um, for like two years. And there are things that you just don't know are an issue or are important to think about when it's just you and your friends drinking your beer. <laughs> and then you get to a space where, you know, it's licensed and regulated and you get inspected by the health department and all of this stuff. And you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't really think about that. There are no <laughs> rules in your own backyard, right? When you're brewing beer. And then of course, like, wait a minute, like, is this shelf stable? Like we store our beer in the refrigerator, but what if other people are just keeping these bottles in their garage in the middle of, you know, July? Like how yeah. do we... Yeah, so learning those lessons and getting feedback from folks on, you know, like, you know, is there diacetyl? Is there, you know, something's not carved right, whatever. So being able to start small and have our, our first membership round was 75 people and being able to start small and have a group. And I was honestly quite surprised when we launched our sales. We didn't know if anybody was going to be into this Uh because it was such a new model and pretty much uncharted territory in Colorado that we had no idea. And over, I would say 60 or 70% of those beer members were people we did not know at all, uh, which was scary, but also really great because the feedback was, um, it was sincere and um, kind. And it was also like unbiased. Like these people didn't know us, <laughs> right? They didn't, have to be nice and they all were nice and there was nothing catastrophic um for the most part it was good feedback and we just um took notes here and there and we we asked a lot of professional brewers that we knew for advice and help and trying to figure out you know what the hell we were doing for those first couple of years i like that um i want to talk about uh, your CSB, your CSA models in just a moment, but we're going to take a short break and be right back. Fermentus. There are occasions when a single microorganism is not enough. You know it. That's why Fermentus gives you all in one, a brand of specifically blended products, which can be made from a mix of microorganisms, catalysts, nutrients, and more. And it's available in 500 gram and 25 gram sizes. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation, visit Fermentus.com. Also, get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's new Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts, watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Go check out BYO.com slash NanoPlus for more details. All right, welcome back. Justin, I, I want to move the conversation now and talk a little bit about um, your CSA. And then, Betsy, I want to hear about uh, the specifics of your CSB. Um, when you were putting it together, Justin, back then, you could obviously look to what farms had done, uh, what growers had, had had done in the past. Um, but were there considerations that you were thinking about beer-wise? Like considerations to, of, I'm not sure I understand. Yeah, I, 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 considerations of what you wanted the program to be, right? Because you had the chance to mold yeah. this, to shape this in your own, with your own desires, with your own yeah. image. So originally, you know, I opened in 2012 and it was, I was only open to the public one day a month for the beer CSA for 12 months a year. And the idea originally was not to sell beer to stores, you know, it was just to, to sell beer 
to customers because the whole thing is building a community of people. You really get to know everybody. But uh, even on paper, I'm brewing like f every day, every other day. Like I was releasing on a one barrel system. We were doing about 120 batches a year and I'm just one person doing that. And so essentially I was sold out of beer every day for years, you know, which sounds great, but I just couldn't make enough beer. So in the beginning, like I, I didn't have any capital. And so I sold shares and then I had to make beer for a year with no extra income. So after about six months, I had stores that were really interested. And so I started selling to a couple select stores um, and, and that, that kind of made it difficult for my scale because I was having to please both people, you know, pleasing stores, pleasing CSA members. Um, but, but basically the CSA model I, I've kind of changed. I mean, originally it was only once a month, um, but you sign up to be for all 12 months. Well, I live on top of a mountain that like barely gets snow plowed in the middle of nowhere. And, um, we basically now close down January until April. So I kind of now run a seasonal CSA where essentially I'm only open to the public one weekend a month, the first weekend of every month. And basically the CSA is kind of like every other month for eight months. So it's really only four cases of beer. Um, so the it changed from the original model because um, the original model was kind of asking a lot from a customer to be like, you know, people were driving out from Boston and I'm like, I'm only open for six hours in the middle of a Saturday. And if you miss it, like it's kind of, you know, a little tough. Um, so I kind of changed that model and made it seasonal. Um, and that's really worked out well. Cause I, you know, I'm open to the public. Like you don't have to be a member now to show up, but that's how you get like the best deals for all the beers. So it's been an evolving process to run a beer CSA, but I've kind of hit it with this new, newer idea. I've been running this for three years and it's been successful. I like that. Um, Betsy, uh, talk to me about your CSB and the, the the focus there. Yeah, we had some similarities to what Justin was just talking about where, you know, we sold memberships. Um, you bought your membership through our website. And so we, and then you got, our first one was three months because we launched in September of 2016. So it was a monthly membership through the end of the year and then we did a we did a special holiday release in december so our first one is three months uh which was manageable and then our second one i think we did a six-month membership but yeah it was the same it was similar where we had uh, we made all of our money up front um and so we had our we had our income from the sales that we did through the website and then um had to rely on that to get us through till our next membership run. And so we would price them out accordingly, but uh, there wasn't a ton of wiggle room there if we needed to rebrew, which we luckily did not have to do a rebrew or dump any beer uh, in those first couple of years for it. But it, it was like, you know, I hope this really goes well the first time around because we don't necessarily have a second shot at this until we launch the membership season again next year. But we started it, um, you know, we had this funding model. Uh, basically, you know, Kate and Jen and I, we worked in the nonprofit world during the recession. And it was just very hard to get funding for the work that we were doing. And so, you know, talking about um, how much our jobs sucked over beer one night, uh, you know, we started talking about how the brew pub that we were in always seemed to be full and seem to be recession proof and how is it that people including us who were um making 10 grand a year finding ways to scrape money together to go drink a beer and eat a burger with friends yeah and so it was really you know why is this important to people and why are people spending money here but donations have dropped and grant funding has dropped so the whole idea was you know how do we use our beer money to fund the nonprofit we're working for and that was the little glimmer spark of the beginning of Lady Justice. And then it developed into um, us building a, a membership, a CSB-based um, model. And that was very specifically because it was because it was such new territory, we had no idea if people were interested in a social enterprise brewery, a philanthropic brewery. 
we didn't know if people would be interested in um, really anything that we were <laughs> we were doing with this. And so we started small. We opened it up with $20,000 is what we had to spend on Lady J. And so by default, we had a small location, a little small one barrel brew system. And so we didn't really have a chance, uh, a choice besides a CSB model, a membership model, small scale, um, other than that. Cause you know, spoiler alert, you can't really open a brewery with $20,000, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, but we could, we could put, you know, we had a few months rent, um, we could buy the little brew house and we could sell memberships. And so that's what we did. And luckily we sold out of the memberships and we had enough money to keep going to the next membership round. And so the way that we did it was um, similar to Justin, we had monthly pickups. Um, we did one Tuesday a month and one Sunday a month. So you could choose whenever you were going to pick up your beer. And we were in, um, it's like, so it used to be a car shop. And we were inside of what I think was just a storage room in this like old abandoned car shop. So like the fact that people actually trusted us and came every month to pick up the beer is just amazing to me. Cause you had to walk through the garage, um, you know, and then pass the like fix it bays. And like, we were right next to the bathroom and it was just amazing. Um, but people would come once a month to pick up their beer. And what we would do on those Sunday pickups was brew the next month's beer so that people could see the brew happening in action and talk to us about what was coming up. And um, although we couldn't officially hold any capacity in that room beyond like two or three people, uh, folks did stick around and say hi. And um, we would meet their kids and their dogs and just learn about, um, got to know them. And so that, that lasted about, um, we moved into that space in 2016 and we had to move out in 2018 because we were growing to a point where um, we needed a bigger space and a bigger brew house to handle more members. So, uh, so that that little um, that, that little small scale uh, membership model lasted lasted two years until we started um, growing a little bit, and moving on. But we still do our membership model today, and that was part of our challenge. We finally moved into our own brick and mortar uh in uh, three days before COVID hit march 15th 2020 i signed the lease on the space that we're in now and the challenge was how do you have a small scale quote unquote exclusive membership model when you also have you know 10 taps and a and a public tap room now uh, so what we do is we still launch our membership model it, we tweak it every year because we're still learning what's important to people and what people want uh, and we still take 100% of profit over cost from the sale of those memberships. That's what that's our donation fund. Um, we use that to donate money out. So we still have our membership as our sole um, or as one of our, you know, uh, giving opportunities. And we use that um, as our primary primary fund to give money away. So it's still very much a part of our business model and it's not something that we're necessarily ready to give up and I don't think we will but it has it has changed over the years so you know this year it's all about uh, the 2024 model is um, quarterly classes that I'm actually teaching about beer um, and that goes back to what we talked about earlier is like how do we get people to connect with craft beer in meaningful ways and so um, this year there's actually no exclusive beer involved in it at all um it's all lessons a, a different quarterly lesson on the different um ingredients in beer and then they get a merch perk along with it so they'll get like a hat or a tote bag or one month we're doing um a home brewers association membership for everybody uh but it's still there and it's still very much a part of um a part of us a part of lady j i like that um Justin, how do you decide what beers you're going to brew for the CSA? Oh, that's a, a good question. I mean, one of the excitements of getting enough members and getting, you know, getting more is that then I'm, you're able to create a lot more recipes 
and release a bigger variety. You know, like the more, you know, I don't want to release, you know, if I have 40 or 50 people, you know, I'll put like six or seven beers, but if I get more people, I've, I've been back up to about a hundred members, you know, I'm essentially able to do whatever I'm creatively inspired to do because I know it'll move. But then with that saying, uh, I do have all these seasonal favorites and I, and I, I plan my year ahead of time, almost a year ahead of my whole brew schedule, you know, leaving, uh, you know, gaps for doing special projects. Um, but so I, I release a lot of seasonal beers. I mean, one of the things I'm known for is having my huge variety. So even when I was running the small, you know, I was in 360 square feet of my brewery, so I can relate to the 300 square feet, but I have eight, you know, one barrel fermenters, you know, now there are two barrel fermenters, <laughs> but even from day one, I had, um, a huge variety of beer. Um, so that always made it fun. And as a brewer, you know, that's, that's awesome. You just keep experimenting. So I have a lot of favorites and then I do a couple new ones, you know, do special fun projects, um, to keep it, to keep it interesting. So special projects like what? Um, I created a series. This is going back to 2012 to 14. It was called beer share. So it's a beer share series. And originally, and this is also it almost answers the question you asked earlier is like, how did you like learn? Um, I started doing collaborations early where I invite another brewery to do a collaboration project and they'd come up to my, you know, little one barrel brewery. We sometimes we do it with two or three brewers all in one room, you know, coming up with a recipe, but then I would pick their brains on like certain equipment and, you know, 2012 to 2013, that era, there really wasn't much homebrewing equipment. You know, I was using Blickman stuff, but then we were having to hodgepodge it to make it upgraded and more professional. I mean, nowadays you can buy all this stuff. That's awesome. You know, right off the shelf, but essentially I did a project called beer share and it was a collaboration between other brewers for a specific place and a specific time. Sometimes we'd release it to a store. Sometimes we'd do it to a bar and have an event over it. Um, but that whole model I, I've used, I used to do it every single month, you know, like, like 10 projects a year. And I got a little bit burnt out uh, doing that. So now I do like four or five projects a year, but I extended who I do projects with. So with beer share is I've, I'm doing another project with the Forest Kitchen. It's like a dinner club, um, you know, an interesting group. And they're so I'm basically collaborating with people, not just brewers now and releasing these special projects. Um, but I'm only doing like, you know, a handful each year. You know, so that's kind of that's that's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds cool. Um, I, I'm wondering how. Have you been able to foster a community over the years. I, I I don't know, you know, even how important that might be for you, but um, when places have a tap room, um, when they have regular hours, when they're not closed for a couple months, you know, it, you get regulars, you get locals, you get that sort of, you know, vibe around the bar. Um, ha have you been able to build that through the CSA? Yeah. Like are there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's one of the fun parts. I mean, I, I literally, I have the brewery on my farm, like in my backyard. When I'm open to the public, I only do two ounce samples. Like I don't do full pints. So I'm not like, you know, not, I don't have to run a bar. Um, but essentially that's the whole fun part is you really get to know the members and like know what they like it, direct feedback of their favorite beers. And, all. and so it, it really does add to the community building effect. Um, it was, it was nice hearing what Betsy was saying about her donating the profits um, cause I, have done a few projects, like when I, I was shut down for the pandemic and when I relaunched, you know, I did a, um, it was part of the, the, the Monty's March it was like a food campaign to raise money for, um, for food pantries. And I, I pledged that I was going to cut my beard and cut my hair for, for anyone of you that can't see me. I have uh, dreadlocks down to my ankles and I was, I pledged if I raised 10 grand, I was going to cut my hair and I raised almost seven or eight grand, which was close. And so I didn't have to cut my hair. Um, but then I did a, 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 a beer called Coleraine Living Lager. And it was all 100% of the profits got, um, you know, donated to the, um, like a veterans group in the town of Coleraine. But that was only like one or two projects. My, my, my hat's off to Betsy for running your business model that does that for, for all, almost for all your special projects. That's awesome. Thank you. And and I'll point out that on 
the Lady Justice website, you you have a list of everybody that you've that you've worked with and donated to uh, in the past, and it's it's a it's a it's a fun list to to scroll through. And I, I'm wondering in that same community question as well if this has these are obviously causes that you all care about and and with good reason. Um, has it introduced new people to your beer? Has it I, I created a sense of community that even after campaigns are over, people still keep coming back. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, and we do, you know, we do, it, it has allowed us to be able to, you know, have relationships with these different organizations and nonprofits in ways where they'll come back and they'll do like work happy hours at lady J or They'll need a meeting space. You know, our tap room's small. It's a 45-person capacity tap room. Uh, so we can't do large events, but we'll do, you know, happy hours, um, holiday parties, stuff like that. And then when we, um, we'll get a lot of, you know, just needs of nonprofits just wanting to come and set up a table and talk about what they're doing uh, to folks. But we have... What we found early on uh, when we were um, exclusively a membership brewery is that our members were coming to us and saying, hey, like, I'm on the board for this nonprofit or this is the nonprofit that I give to every year or I just heard about this really great place. My kids involved in a camp over here. And so people were just so excited to tell us about the organizations that they were connected to and involved with. And so it just sort of grew this network of um, of nonprofits that we could connect with all throughout the city, all throughout Colorado. And one of the coolest stories I have is that we, one of, um, one of the places that we gave to in 2018, uh, there was a high school in Colorado Springs that was um, in desperate need of um, textbooks for their classroom. It was the civics teacher. We had found through somebody, the civics teacher who was raising money to buy the textbooks for his um, own classroom, which just oh, wow. to me is, there's it's, some major systematic problems. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, he had this team of students that he wanted to um, take them. His ultimate goal was to take them to like a civics debate national championship in DC. So that was like his long-term goal, but he's like, okay, so to get to the long-term goal, we actually need to start with like learning about civics. And so uh, we, one of our fundraising efforts that year was to just buy his civics books for him. And when we put that out to our CSB members, um, one of our regulars, Charlie was like, oh my gosh, that's my alma mater. I went to high school there. And so he called up the teacher and he was like, hey, what else do you need? And so then like Charlie ends up buying basketball shoes for the entire girls basketball team because this teacher was also the coach. And he was like, I mean, if you really want to help, my girls need shoes. <laughs> uh, and so that was just like this lovely moment of our CSB members um, learning about being connected to the work that we were doing and deciding on their own that they could they could do even more. So, so cool. So, so, you know, little things like that happen all the time. And so it really has, even when the year is over and we've already given to, you know, A, B or C nonprofit, uh, we still see and hear from those folks quite a bit, actually. There's something to be said for, and, and, and pretty much anybody who knows me or listens, I, I, I can be a fairly cynical person, um, but these are just great stories and it's it's it goes back to i think what so many people wanted craft beer to be in the beginning of this you know small band of good humans doing good things um and 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 bringing flavor to it and um it's just it's it's heartening to hear that um, I feel like the Grinch with the uh, the heart three sizes. Uh, listening to that um, uh, 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 to that story, but also, I mean, what what comes through in talking with both of you is just this commitment to the cause, commitment to the identity that you wanted your breweries to be from the beginning, and 
I, I have to imagine it, it, even if you are trying to grow small or, or, or stay small or, or, or stay true to the mission that it's, it, it's gotta be difficult, right? To stay true to the giving. Oh, yeah. No, like to stay true to like, yeah, to or just to stay true to like the original intent, right? When you have all of the forces of the world hitting you from all sides. I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm articulating this well, or if there's even no. I mean, there, but yeah, Justin, it sounded like you had something you were gonna say. So, uh, well, just. Just on the subject of being small, I mean, this is, you know, being a nano brewery, you have a lot of challenges going against you. Just just the size of your brewery um, is tough because you have to do all of every, like, you know, having a larger brewery, you make, you know, a lot more beer in a day, so to say. So you have more room, more time in your day to do on some of the other projects the paperwork and all that. But being really small, having to brew all the time um, has it has its challenges. I mean, that's like you're not buying your equipment in bulk as much, you know, when you're ordering labels, you know, you're not ordering 20,000 labels at once. So the costs are more, so you have to really um, be creative, I guess, and come up with, you know, you, you know, unique ways to, you know, like running a CSB or a CSA um, to be able to raise capital because working capital, no matter what size your brewery is, you need a healthy amount of working capital. And it seems like Betsy and her brewery and, and, and I, we share the same story of starting with like 20 grand and doing it. And like, I kind of don't recommend that to other people. <laughs> I, I, that was going to be my follow-up. Yeah. yeah. Starting something undercapitalized uh, mm-hmm. is tough. So like, like lessons I learned early on that I would maybe say to your, your people that are listening is to not be so afraid of debt you know, because I'm, you know, I didn't go to business school. I bootstrapped my way up from, from the, the dirt, basically. And I was always afraid of like, oh, I don't want to owe money. I don't want to owe money. And so I dragged my heels in the beginning. I went a couple of years before I took out a little bit of a loan. And I should have taken out a loan from the very beginning. You know, like, it would like I would have had better equipment. You would have been so much better off. So, so if you have no other way but to bootstrap, you can do it. And it's been done. But, man, it comes at a cost. <laughs> Yeah, I would. Yeah, there's a lot of (laughs) uh, I was shaking my head a lot when you were saying all of that, Justin, because, you know, there's it. It's just so interesting. You also have to decide who you what kind of brewery you want to be and what the goals are, because. I staying small is I I don't necessarily want Lady J to be um, a nationally distributing brewery. I mean, we don't even distribute really outside of the Denver metro area. And so, uh, and we only got into distribution because we didn't really have a choice when COVID hit. And um, I I think about what it would take to like expand and be like some of these other notable breweries that are in Denver that seem to have been able to like be on top in the craft beer game, so to speak, in terms of volume and I mean, hopefully they're making good money, but uh, I don't, oh, it sounds exhausting to me. And then of course, like the loans that you have to take out just to be able to do that is just like, holy cow. So I think about, you know, when you were talking, Justin, about being able to close or not being able to, but having to close seasonally and then sort of having this freedom to be a little bit more creative about the beers that you make when you have enough memberships to be able to do that. Uh, and like doing a farm to table grain to gla- glass, like you're describing my dream brewery. <laughs> if I could like go back and do it all over again, I would love to do like be out on the farm, you know, be more, um, more holistic about the um, local approach to, you know, ingredients and all that. But, you know, that's just not where we are and that's not what we did. And it's great. And I love Lady J and I'm very proud of what we've accomplished uh, so far but yeah it's it is it is rough to bootstrap and we we continue to bootstrap I'm just like right now um, in in processes of looking at loans so that we can grow a little bit because we're hitting the wall of our space is physically so small we're 2,000 square feet now half of that's the tap room half of that's production space 
that we actually can't grow anymore because we can't fit the beer anywhere. So if we want long-term sustainable uh, growth and in income, we actually kind of need a bigger location, not much bigger, but just a little bit bigger. Uh, or we need to like scale back and go back to our membership only routes. And it's just so interesting to like, I don't know where the line is where you finally have to stop thinking about that. And maybe that it's never. Um, but yeah, uh, you can bootstrap it. But if you have the ability to get a loan and you have a business that'll let you pay that loan back responsibly and on time, go for it. <laughs> I like that. Um, with the few minutes we have left, I, I'm I'm curious from 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 each of you um, on the CSA model uh, or the CSB model, um, if there's a brewer who's been listening to this saying, wow, I'm really intrigued by this. And this, this, this speaks to my sensibilities. Um, I'd like to explore this. Um, what's one or two questions you think they should ask themselves first before embarking down that path, Justin? Oh, it's good. I'm trying to understand the question is, um, well, I, I think using a model that you're pre-selling beer for certain projects, like even if you're not running a CSA all year round or seasonal, you can still think of it like projects. I mean, essentially the same model exists like a um, like a barrel age program. Sure. A membership know? club or. Yeah. And so like I, I do both. And that's what keeps me going where in August I, I release that I'm going to do a barrel aged beer. And I pre have pre-orders and then basically by, you know, uh, by the holidays, I release it. But, you know, a lot of times I'll generate all the income I need from the pre-order to buy all the ingredients, you know, because I don't have extra capital to put into barrels and things like that. And then in the wintertime, I do the same thing for a Bach, you know, so I do a Bach, all my, my fermenters are all filled with lagers and I have a little bit of time off right now, you know, to, to, to strategize, you know, but, um, but basically coming up with different unique models for selling your beer and just being creative is, is really, I mean, you got to be able to pivot with all your different ideas. And so, you know, no one idea is the answer for your business. I mean, you know, so try a little bit of everything. I mean, right now I'm, I'm running CSA, I'm running a, 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 a um, barrel aged program that you pre-order beers and I do special projects for clients, you know, so one of the tough things on, on, well, on a nano brewery is that you're small. So you have to come up with ideas to capitalize on that. Since I have a two barrel system, it's a perfect amount of beer for like a wedding or a big party. Mm -hmm. And so I have people that come out here, brew their special beer, learn from me. And basically, you know, now I'm just doing it and charging a little bit of money for it. Like I used to do that kind of for, for not free, but I, I used to not charge enough for those services. But even if you're a small brewery, like I guess my, my advice in my new mantra would be um, you can make it big on a small deal. You know, you don't need to have a, a half a million dollar brewery or plus, you know, to make it, you can make it big being small. And, and I've stuck through this being a nano brewery for 11 years, you know, riding, getting ready to expand a million dollar project, having that crash down to the ashes, I had to restart. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm just going to be small. Like, can I, can I make a living? Can I make it be sustainable on a scale where it's like a two barrel system, you know, but I got four barrel, five barrel, 10 barrel tanks, you know, but a two barrel brew house. And, and it's, it's, it's like now instead of trying to get bigger and bigger, you know, you can kind of stay small, but you have to really be creative with different avenues to sell your product. And for me, it's selling it on my own terms. I just sell two days a month seasonally and, and deliver to a handful of stores and that's it. And that works. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know if that answers your question about the, you know, you just have to be creative. Um, if you don't have the capital to continue, you better get creative, you know, come up with some ideas. Um, and, you know, I can go all, all into the crowdsource investment campaigns. And there's all kinds of new things out there to raise capital in ways that weren't really available, you know, even years ago. So, so that's, I don't know, my advice to people would be to you can always figure your way out of a problem. You, yeah. know, you just have to really, really think, be creative and be open to new ideas like a beer CSA. 
Betsy, uh, same question to you with the uh, little bit of time we have left of um, advice or questions people should ask themselves if they were thinking about embarking on a, a program similar to yours. Yeah, I mean, I think I would ask if you're not yet a business owner, you know, if, if brewing is um, the passion project, um, really ask yourself, what do you gain? What's the return on investment for you personally in terms of um, happiness and and experience and all of that? Not, I'm not talking about return on investment in dollars. I'm talking about everything else. Are you prepared for the passion project to become a chore? Because on some days it really is a chore, you know, where it's like, I'd actually, I don't want to go deliver these cases to that liquor store when there's, you know, three feet of snow outside and all of this, right? Um, and chasing invoices from people who don't want to, you know, pay you for those cases, stuff like that. So you really do have to ask, like, are you prepared to lose some of the, you know, excitement, passion, joy in it when there are inevitably the bad days where you just don't feel like doing it anymore, but you have to, cause you took the loan out, you know? <laughs> um, and so I think, I think there's, and I think it's happening less and less the being the brewer being like a glorified rock star is like very not true. And that's like, like don't believe that. But, yeah. um, but if you think it'll be like a fun, easy job that you get to like turn your hobby into a paycheck, uh, really, really think about that and talk to people who have done it because uh, not to say you shouldn't, I think you should if you really want to. I mean, there's wonderful beer being made everywhere from people like us who just wanted to do it. Um, but you have to be willing to give up um, the ability to work at your own pace and do things um, on your own time if you're going to turn it into a business. But if you're already a brewer and you own it and you're ready to do something else, I think memberships are wonderful, wonderful models to be able to do something on a smaller scale, to connect with your community in a new way, and to be able to do be a little bit more creative, whether it's style-wise or give yourself permission to to charge more money to get the special barrel that you want for barrel aging. So I think it's a great avenue if you're stuck creatively or you need to connect with your community in a new way. Membership programs are an awesome way to do it. I love it. Um, I'm so enormously grateful to to both of you for your, for your time this, this month on the show. And um, um, I obviously encourage folks to go and, and visit you or, you know, both of your locations and uh, uh, drink your beer and to follow you both on, on social media, uh, which we'll have the links on, on the website um, to, to do that. Cause um, I really admire and, and really dig what you both are doing. So thanks for taking the time and sharing your insights and happy 2024 to both of you. I hope it's a good yeah. year. <laughs> thanks. Ben. Thank you. How are you engaging with customers on a deeper level? Tell us by emailing us. It's nano at byo.com. Or you can also tag BYO on all of the various BYO social media channels. I'll invite you to head over to BYO.com slash nanopodcast. There you can subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and catch up with great pro-brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of every month, so make sure you subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by, again, just emailing us at nano at BYO.com or leaving feedback on all of the BYO social media channels. As always, thanks to this episode's sponsor. Fermentus. There are occasions when a single microorganism is not enough. You know it. That's why Fermentus gives you all-in-one, a brand of specifically blended products, which can be made from a mix of microorganisms, catalysts, nutrients, and more. And it's available in 500-gram and 25-gram sizes. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation, visit Fermentus.com. Also, get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's new Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts, watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. 
Go check out BYO.com slash Nano Plus for more details. I'm John Hall. You can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast from All About Beer. Find that where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Our theme music was created by Scott McCampbell, and we thank him for that. And once again, be sure to check out BYO.com slash Nano Podcast for all of your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day. Thank you.